Well, I'd like to say good morning to everybody. I hopefully I don't smell that bad. Everybody is back that way. Uh, I don't know. Brother, Brother Sam must be used to being around stinky people, I guess. Uh, but it is certainly a joy to be here. I've heard a lot about this church for for several years now, and uh, and of course, you know, maybe you know I'm good friends with Brother Robbie Jeffries, and uh, I know that uh, Brother Paul Jackson. He really spoke so highly of him and uh, the impact he had on his life, and I think many others from pastors that uh, I have met, and so I'm thankful to be able to be here and uh, to be able to preach the Word of God to you. Uh, some of you know me, some of you don't, and uh, that's okay. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I've pastored about, uh, well, this is this mission work will be the fourth, but pastor a little church called the Buncombe Baptist Church years ago, a place called Eubank, Kentucky, and uh, I was there about six years, and I was at another place about six years called Nelson Valley Baptist Church, then went to a place in Somerset, Kentucky that was, uh, uh, not Somerset, but uh, uh, in Gar- what they call Garrett County, we call it Lancaster, and uh, I was up there for about 12 years, and um, we about two years ago, I was sent out by the South Irvin Baptist Church uh, to do a church plant. We really kind of, and probably why it was wrong in the bulletin for uh, probably the first seven, or I'm going to say probably longer than that, probably the first year, we tried to find property in what is in Nicholasville, and that's just a little bit south of Lexington. And it seemed like every door closed over and over again, or the land was just ridiculously priced. And um, we kept looking, but uh, it was like uh, kind of like the Macedonian call with Paul. Uh, he, he had desire to go certain places, and the Lord kept closing that door. And uh, we uh, uh, we found some property uh, in Bull County, which worked out really good for me because it's not a quarter mile from my house. And it's right up a major highway on 34s, right across from uh, a big golf course. And uh, we're thankful we got we got seven acres, like 150 thousand uh, dollars. And we're, we're we've actually worked pretty good at that so far in the past like five months since we got the loan on. I think we're down to about 74 thousand on that on the property. Uh, the entrance, the highway department's told us we're going to have to, uh, you know, they have all their regulations, and we're trying to be good and not stir the pot you might say and make anybody mad and show that we can play well with others and uh, it cost us about fifty thousand dollars for that entrance and so that's something we've been kind of chipping at as well and probably about another 30 on it but uh but i'm thankful to see where we're at and and i'm just saying this we started the first sunday morning i think i had like uh four people in my living room the next next sunday we had like 11 I think I preached for Brother Robbie. We come back, I had 15 or 20, and the next thing you know, we were like, we really got to find a place. So we, we rented out a, a conference room in a motel, and uh, and that place was, was starting to be packed. Actually, we was running over the what the fire marshal said we could have in there at the time, and um, the, the Lord just kept blessing. We went to another place in Jessamine County called Wilmore, did anybody hear about the supposed Asbury revival? I mean, it made all kinds of national news, and it was just a bunch of charismatic nonsense, I'll just say. But we was right in the middle of that, and everybody's wanting my opinion on it, and they really didn't want my opinion because when I said what I thought about it, uh, you know, that was met with quite a bit of disdain. Uh, but the truth has a way of doing that. 
but I, I'm just going to say this. If there's no such thing as revival, people rolling around on the floor barking like dogs and carrying on like a bunch of craziness. So that's not revival and just a bunch of emotionalism. And um, So we were there through a pretty good period of time, and um, but we were still about 45 minutes away from about where the majority of our people were coming from. And so the result of this, we started praying, and there's a little United Methodist Church about 10 minutes, not even, it's probably about five minutes from the land in which we were purchasing that was ready to close down their doors. And they had a extension off and had a fellowship hall, Sunday school rooms. They were not even using it. They had rented out to a daycare. Daycare moved out. And so they rent it to us for $150 a week. And, of course, we pay utilities, but uh, for the price and what we have right there right now, we are truly thankful, and uh, we're just really blessed. God has been good to us. We've had several baptisms. I think I've had three men now surrender to preach. And what's the interesting thing is kind of weird, and people all the time are asking me, what are you trying to do? I, I, I believe any pastor I'll try to train his replacement, Right? And I know that sounds crazy, but I joke that I have probably 15 guys at any moment in time that I'm gone I can tag that will stand up and can preach and teach and do an excellent job. Now, that I want to say I'd like to take credit for that, but God has sent those people. I believe it is the work of God that has accomplished this. I believe God wants to send a message, and especially that area, that... The, the truth of sovereign grace is important. We're kind of distinct uh, compared to all the churches in that that area, and uh, but it is it is a blessing that I know that. And I told the guys the other day. I said, you know, the good thing is comforting to me that if God took me out of here in this world. And we're not even organized yet. I'm confident Grace Community Baptist Fellowship would organize into a church because of the leadership, because of the strength of the families. And for that to take place in about a two-year span, to me, is a testimony of, of God working. Now, and by the way, I'm probably the worst salesman ever. Because I don't like going around talking about certain things of mission. I've not done any bit of deputation. I'm thankful for my sponsoring church. There's some churches that we have about three or three other churches that support us. Rye Patch is one of them. Barry Baptist Church is one of them. Brother David Pittman, his church is like a hundred dollars a month. But we don't. I've just not had to do it. It's been pretty much our sponsoring church and the people that have um, uh, that are attending. Now there's challenges obviously when you, we look and if we're trying to pay this land off, but what we, initially I would have told people we're going to try to build, uh, we're going to try to pay everything off and then build. But I've learned this, when you follow the Lord, you can make all the plans you want and sometimes they don't go that way. Because if people was to come to me, they could say, well you're a liar, you said this in the beginning and you said this in the beginning. And I said, this is what we're going to try to do if it be the Lord's will. But I've seen God interject himself so many times in our life that in the work of what's going on at Grace, that I have to say this, that it was absolutely, uh, God's, God's got it. 
I tell people I feel like I've got a hold of the handlebars and I'm going for a ride. I mean, I'm not, I'm not much in control, but I've been watching God work and, and, and do things that I, just amazing in the hearts and lives of so many people. And so when I say that, I don't, I don't give no fancy presentations. I tell people, if you know me, you trust me. We, of course, we'd love to have anybody support us that wants to help us with this endeavor, especially with trying to get the land purchased. And the last letter I sent out, I, I just asked people, if, if you want to help us to get this land paid for, we want to take care of the building. But our goal is to organize next January. That'll be about three years. I'm just not one of those guys that really believe that a church ought to stay perpetually or a mission should stay as a mission perpetually for years. If God's hands in it, he will work it out. And I believe that. And we're so thankful for, for brothers and sisters that encouraged us, prayed for us, helped us along the way. And I'd love to tell you a whole lot about grace and, and what God, God has done there and, and just the people he's put in, in our place. But I'll tell you what I'd rather do is to talk about that. I'd rather just preach to you this morning. Uh, and that's why I said, I, I see some of these guys, I, and you say, why don't, why were you against deputation? I'm not necessarily against deputation. But I've seen some of these guys, every time they go to a church, they find out what that church's particular pet peeves are, their favorite doctrines, what not to say and what to say. I'm not that guy. Because I, I'm just going to tell you, if you don't like me, that's fine. And if you do like me, that's great. I like you. I probably like you if you don't like me, I guess. But, but I, I just don't think we ought to have to be salesmen. If God's in it, God takes care of it. If you have your Bibles this morning, I do want to encourage you. I don't want to bore you to death. I want to invite you to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua this morning. If you would, Let's look at Joshua chapter 3. Now, we're going to go through the entirety of the chapter. But I want to look at verses 1 through 5 of Joshua chapter 3. And we'll, we'll stop for a word of prayer. And then we'll just jump right in to the text. But I want to preach on this subject this morning. And I pray to be a challenge because I know having a man who was a great leader for the, for this many years... You're all facing some things that you've never faced before. You've never had, probably most of you here have probably never had to search for a pastor, put a pastoral committee together. I don't know what your all's process is, weighing out how you're going to do that and, and, and all that stuff. I, I want to say to you, I know that there's challenges. You want to make sure you get the right person and you want God to send the right person. And that's important. I want to, in this, this passage, I believe applies to so many areas in our life because we all come to those Jordans in our life. We're getting ready to do something that we've never done before and it's a very scary time. And so we need to know how to accomplish that task. And I believe we'll follow what Joshua gave to the children of Israel here. I believe we can find that truth. So Joshua chapter Number three this morning, Joshua chapter three. And just make sure you're all awake. All wants to, you stand in the reading of the scriptures for me this morning and, um, give a little bit of reverence to the scripture. Joshua chapter number three, verses one through five. 
And Joshua, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. And there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way hither to four. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God that is alive and powerful and sufficient for every task that we have. I pray that you would speak to us through your Word today. May you encourage the saints here at Landmark. And most importantly, may you be glorified. Father, we're thankful that the Word of God not only corrects, but it comforts. I'm thankful, God, that it guides us. And I pray that we would hear, and may you give us ears to hear. May you give us eyes to see these truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning... When you've never passed this way before. If we look into this passage, the children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt and, uh, their their whole, pretty much their whole life. We go back, there's a generation that's died, but this generation prior to this passage that we just read to were slaves in Egypt and had been led out of Egypt by Moses. They had seen God reveal Himself in many dramatic and powerful ways. He destroyed the most powerful army in the world and drowned them in the Red Sea. God gave them His law at Sinai, made a covenant with His people, and gave them instructions. And with that covenant, was they were covenant promises and they were covenant curses. But if you obey God, He said, I will bless you. And he promised to prosper them, and he promised them that they would have success and that he would be with them, and they would be his treasured people above all the people of the earth, and that they would be a a peculiar people that belonged to him, and his hand would be upon them. As they traveled through the wilderness, God miraculously provided for them water, manna from heaven. God took care of all these people as they come out and as you read the story, you know that, that God had promised them that when you go into the promised land, I will drive the enemies out. You see, it wasn't their task, it was God's job. Just when it comes to building a church, it's not, I hear these guys all the time, oh that preacher, he's a great church builder. They ain't no, they ain't a preacher in the world that can build a church. Cause Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. He's the one who builds churches. We can't take credit for it. We just need to be thankful we're on the team. Amen? And so you'll find that that here God provided for these people 
over and over again. He said, I will drive their enemies out. And yet, when the people come to a place called Kadesh Barnea, Moses got the people together and they sent 12 spies to view out the promised land. Those 12 spies went into the promised land and they saw the land. It was flowing with milk and honey. And, and, you, and you read the story, the size of the grapes and, and the bounty and, and how fruitful the, the uh, land was. But 10 of the spies come back and they say, it's a great land. It's a wonderful place. But there's also this land is crawling with giants. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. This land has walled cities. These people are armed. They're ready for war. They'll destroy us. There's no way. We'd be better off to go back to Egypt. They just wanted to quit. You know what happened? They went into the promised land, and their perspective when they looked at the promised land was at the obstacles and and at the problems and the difficulties and the dangers. But they didn't look at the promised land through the lens of God. Because they all God's done, yet they forgot all the plagues in Egypt, drowning the army in the Red Sea, they forgot that God was going to go before them. Except for two guys. Their names was Joshua and Caleb. And we know that Joshua was Moses' minister, his servant. And Caleb, we'll read later in the book of Joshua, that at 85, when it comes to the allotment of his land, they said, there's giants on that hill. He said, give me this mountain. He said, I'm just as strong today as I was 45 years ago. Man, I wish I could say that. Amen? But Caleb had faith. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go possess the land at once. Do you know what happened? Everybody hearkened unto the ten. And they didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. And in that process of time, that whole generation died off. But Joshua and Caleb didn't. And so this younger generation... They've not seen, maybe, or could even remember the great works of God, all the great things that God had done. They had wandered into Egypt for 40 years, and it was an 11-day journey from Egypt into Canaan. Now, you know what happens when we rebel against God? We, We increase difficulty in our life. And it was for here, and the Bible tells us as we begin to go through this, this, this portion that this new generation has come into the land of, of Canaan. They, they, they're approaching. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is swollen. It's a time of year of rains, and it's probably about a mile wide. And they have millions of people, and they're having to cross. And how in the world are they going to accomplish this task? And God continuously tells Joshua, you're the next man. I have appointed you. Be courageous, be bold, lead, and, and stay in the book, Joshua. Don't stray to the right hand or stay to the left. And whatever I tell you to do, do. And every place that your feet shall tread upon, I have given to the children of Israel. So here's Joshua leading. And on this day, God speaks to Joshua, and he says, It is time to go forward. And this generation is getting ready to experience things they've never experienced. They're getting ready to go down a path that they have never traveled. And it had to be a scary time. And you know why? 
Because the future is uncertain. And I've learned this. The future is very scary at times. If we sit and think about it and we try to plan it, we're going to get frustrated. <laughs> because it, the future is something that that we none know. Only God in His providence knows what is ahead. And the truth is, why is it scary? Because none of us have ever been there. Nobody has ever walked into the future. We don't know what is before us, and that's why it's scary. You see, the future is very uncertain. The future, we say that uh, if we was to look, if we think about it in our own life, we start planning, and, and I can remember it with grace, and we're looking for land, and we're thinking, and we're contemplating. We have all kinds of ideas. We'd look at this spot, a property, and we'd find the obstacles there. And, and, and I bet we went to 11 or 12 different properties. And it was obstacle after obstacle along the way. I, and I want to tell you something. That, that uncertainty will about drive you crazy. And yet, you know what you have to do? You have to, you have to trust God. Most of us have never been a part of a church plant. I've never been a, a missionary or a church planner. I don't, I don't know anything about that. I've never navigated these seas before. I don't know how to handle these things. I do know what I, I do. I show up and preach. I can handle that. But how do we go about all this other stuff? It was just scary. And you know what we know about the future? One thing's for certain. There's going to be problems in the future. And there's probably going to be problems in the future that we've never faced, and there's solutions that we we don't we don't know what the solutions are to the problem, and so that's why the future is very scary. There's things out before us in the next few years we know that is going to be difficult. They knew that there were enemies there that wanted to destroy them. They didn't know much about them. But they knew they were there. You, you see, they, they knew that the future was out of their control. And let me just tell you, there's nothing more fearful for most people when they are not in control. Many people, absolute control freaks. With every aspect of their life, they try to control their children, control their destiny, control their jobs. I, I'm just going to tell you, you do have very, you may think you're in control, but you're not. And so here they are. This is a brand new day. Joshua says, you've not passed this way hitherto for. You've never navigated this. We've never dealt with this. We've never experienced this. We, we know there's enemies out there. We know there's battles to fight. We know there's difficulties. We know there's walled cities. There's people that wanted to annihilate us. We don't have chariots. We don't have swords. What are we going to do? They have to trust God. Just as God has said. May I say to you that we may not be going into the land of Canaan literally or, or crossing the Jordan River and how we're going to do that. But we all have our spiritual Jordans that we've had to cross. There's things that we've had to face that we've never faced before. There's some things about the future that we're uncertain of. And you know that you have to move forward. And what is scary about it is you've never went that way before. You know, coming to Georgia, they several these roads, they all look the same to me. They look the same to me. I go to Kentucky. If I go back to my home, 
I, I follow the hills. Well, that, that's Kidder Mountain there. I know, I know where Kidder Mountain is, right? I, I know where Booger Holler is, and, and I know where, you know, Cracker Neck Road is, and I, 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 I can navigate that way, but I've been down those roads thousands of times. But when you travel somewhere you've never been before, you're on edge. And may I say to you, they're getting ready to go down a path they've never traversed before. They don't know the bends. They don't know the curves. So what do they do? And let me say to you, what do we do when we're passing down a road, we're going a direction into the future, and we're having to handle something we've never dealt with before? I believe we need to do the same thing that Joshua and the children of Israel did. So what's number one? Pretty simple. Pursue after God. Pursue after God. Look at verse number three. Verse number three. The Bible tells us that, and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, which was what? The very representation of the, th- the, the throne of God. It represents the very presence of God with His people. When ye see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. So what do we do? The most important thing you can do right now, even as a church, as you're pursuing forward pastor and future and direction, is not necessarily, I want to say to you, to make sure all these lists and qualifications are met and all this stuff and, you know, and plan and does he have the right degree and, and does he have the right pedigree and has he rubbed elbows in the right circles and is it a part of my landmark circle or is it this? You know, most important thing for all of, uh, for you to do and for me to do if we're going into the future and we've never experienced the future, it's the same for all of us. You pursue after God first. You seek after God. You get close to God. You pray. You stay in your Bible. You be faithful to church. I don't care if you don't have a pastor. Be at the house of God on Sunday morning. Worship God. Get close to God. Pursue. I mean, you chase God like a hound dog on a rabbit trail. Stay after Him, amen. And you say, Brother Grant, are you sure? Yeah. He said, when the ark moves, you move. You pursue after God. And I want to tell you, that's the problem with most people. They get so distracted by everything in the world, and they, they're not pursuing after God. Pursuing after everything in the world but God. The second thing, I want to try to keep moving, be sure to keep the very perspective of God. I hate when my voice goes hoarse. Probably because I've been hollering at Brother Rob. But be sure to keep the perspective of God. Look at verse number 4. The Bible tells us here that yet there shall be a space between you and it, the ark. And it, 16 times I think it uses that whole idea of it in chapters 3 and 4 speaking of the, of the ark of the covenant. But but when you see the ark of the covenant, Lord your God, now priests, when they bear it, you go after it. Now, verse number 4, this is unique. Because he says, I want a space between you and it of 2,000 cubits measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way which you must go, for you've not passed this way before. Basically, he tells them, I want you to stand back a thousand yards. Now, you pursue, but you stand back a thousand yards. 
Now, do you know why they wanted them to stand back a thousand yards? So everybody could see what is getting ready to happen and the miracle and the power of God that's going to be demonstrated before them that everybody will see it all evolves around the presence of God with His people. You see, if they stood too close, if everybody everybody got lined up behind it, you know what? Majority of people ain't going to see that it's the ark that's doing it. Majority of people ain't going to see it's the presence of God. They wanted everybody to stand back far enough that when the priest's feet hit the water, <laughs> they could all see it was God's power that caused the Jordan River to abate and to open up and they could travel on dry ground. So you know what he wanted them to have is a perspective. He, not only we pursue God, but we need to stand back and take evaluation and observe how God is working. And you know what the problem is? Too many people want to get in the way sometimes. People want to take credit. And there, there's nothing for me to listen to a preacher get up and tell story after story of all he's done, make himself out to be a hero. It makes me sick at my stomach. Same things I hear a missionary going, oh, I've done this, done this, I accomplished this, I've done that. You know, it's either God or you need to just sit down. And let me just say, they stood back, yeah, probably out of reverence, but this way the least to the oldest could recognize it was God. They understood without a shadow of a doubt by having perspective like this that they were not following men, they were following God. And sometimes we need to take a step back. We need to take a good gander of what's ahead of us and look at it and try to figure it out. And, and just the, these guys, let me tell you something. The easiest thing to do in your life is to lose perspective of how God's working in your life. You know why? Because we all get busy. We start going through what I believe. We just start going through the motions, even in church or Bible reading or prayer life. We can talk all the Christianese. We can use all the Christian lingo. We know how to fit in. But we really don't just take some time to sit back and ponder. Sit back and look at what God's doing. May I say to you, yes, you're to pursue God, but don't get so busy and don't just start going through the motions and, and church become a ritual and the Bible becoming ritualistic and just something you do. The easiest thing in your life to lose is the wonder of God. Joshua was making sure that they didn't lose the wonder of God in their life. And so, third... Be sure to remember the power of God. Look in verse number 5. Joshua says to the people, Now now sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord's going to do wonders among you. You get your heart right, God is going to do wonders among you. Now, that other generation died off. This is a new generation. Either they were too young, perhaps, to remember crossing the Red Sea, the... All the things that happened in Egypt. But this is something they're going to perpetually remember. They're going to see the power of God. Now, now, but I want you to look in verse 15. He says, and as they bear the ark were come to the Jordan, 
And the people are standing back watching. They're pursuing from a distance so they all can have the perspective and realize who this is. They, 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 when the priest, when they come to the Jordan and their feet were dipped in the brim of the water, the Jordan, it reminds us here, overfloweth all his banks at this time of the harvest, that the waters which came down above, they stood and rose up at every heat far above from the city of Adam. I mean, what we see is they see this miracle, how God stops the water flowing and stands the water up on both sides, and they cross into the cross in to Canaan land on dry ground. What a wonderful demonstration of the power of God. And there they would stand in awe. What, what an amazing thing. You know what God is reiterating to these people? He is showing them they didn't need to build boats. They didn't need to build a bridge. He is showing them that He will remove every and any obstacle that would stand between them and what He has promised. That God would give them victory as they went into their Canaan. He's reminding them that He is the all-powerful one. Because He is all-powerful, He's able to keep His promises. Because He's all-powerful, He's sovereign. And because He's sovereign, may I say to you that He's a God of providence. He knows what is ahead. He is one who is in control. God has not just spun the earth, stepped back and said, man, I can't, I can't fix this now. God is absolutely in control of everything, and He is showing them that. And by the way, when, when He does this, demonstrating His power over everything, even the very natural elements of nature, God is showing them that He is the one who takes problems and just simply make some possibilities. We study one of my favorite themes. I'm going to give you this extra. Found in the Gospel of Mark, starting at the end of chapter 4 and all through chapter 5. Amazing, if you look at it, you know what God's showing His disciples? That He is all-powerful and He has all authority. Because in the chapter 4, the disciples go out upon the Sea of Galilee. You remember that? And a great storm of wind arose. And a boat was filling up with water. James and John, Bartholomew, freak out and start arguing with Peter. Like a one dog starts barking and one nips and they all start fighting. And What are we going to do? We're all going to drown. And Jesus said, let's pass over to the other side. And, and, and I, I imagine they're throwing out buckets of water. They're freaking out. They've never been in a storm like this, a great storm of wind. Waves are beating into the ship. And finally somebody came to Jesus and said, woke him up. Master, carest thou not that we perish? You know what Jesus did? He stood up. He rebuked the wind and the sea. And it all come a great calm. The wind stopped. The waves stopped. The rain stopped. Waves stopped. Only God can do that. You know what he's demonstrating right there? That as the very Son of God, he has all authority over even dangers in life, all authority over nature. You go into the next chapter, he runs into a demoniac with a legion of demons. And you know what he does? He demonstrates that he even has all authority over the demons of hell and turns them loose in swine that run down a bank and drown in the river. 
or in the sea. He has all authority over the very demons of hell. And then there's a man named Jairus that comes along, and he says, I have a little daughter, and he's ruler of a synagogue. And I bet you, before his daughter got sick, when he was hearing the ministry of Jesus, if he was in that position as a ruler of the synagogue, he didn't like Jesus. He had heard of the miracles of Jesus, but when his daughter got sick and he got desperate, you know what he did? He threw himself at the feet of Jesus. said, my daughter, she's 12, she is at the point of death. You know what it is? She had that death gargle going on. And Jesus headed that way. But along the way, it got delayed. Because there's a lady that had an issue of blood 12 years, spent all she had. Never got better, only got worse. And she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. And you remember she touched it, and she was healed. And as they're rushing to go to save this little 12-year-old girl, Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And his disciples were aggravated. They said, people all around you. What do you mean who touched you? This little girl's getting ready to die. We don't have time. And he turns around and starts a conversation with that lady that touched him, right? And as Jesus is telling that woman that her faith has made her whole, people come from Jairus' house and they tell him, trouble the master no farther. Thy daughter is dead. And if you read the text, it's pretty amazing. Jesus is speaking to the woman. They just healed. They're saying that. He hears it in his ear and immediately turns and said, You believe. You believe, Jarius. Keep believing. He doesn't even hesitate. You keep believing. And he goes, and you know the story. He went in. They laughed him to scorn. He said to sleep. He spoke. She arose. What's he demonstrating? In the storm, he's demonstrating he has all authority over nature and all danger that we'll ever face. When he cast out the, the, the legion of demons. He has all authority over the demons of hell. And when he heals this woman with an issue of blood, he has all authority over every disease. And when he heals this young girl that has died, he has authority over death. He is the resurrection and life. And he that believeth in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Amen. He, he has all authority. May I tell you something? It's the same God here. And Joshua, same God. The river goes back. The same sovereign power. And may I say to you, these stories in the Bible, we say these things are, that, that was just, just for them. God's sovereign power still works in our life today. And He demonstrates it if you'll just stand back and take a perspective of God from a distance. You keep pursuing Him. And you will be reminded of yourself, the very fact of his power is omnipotent. Nobody can thwart God. And may I remind you today, when you're crossing your Jordan, you're going into a future that you're not certain of. You don't know what lies ahead. You don't know what curves or bends are in the road. Do not lose perspective of God. Keep your eyes on the greatness and the grandeur of God. You don't serve a little God. You serve a God that's bigger than I could ever describe to you this morning. Trust Him. Follow Him. And so by application, I want to say three things and, and, and then you can go eat. And, you know, and if you don't like it, that's all right. You don't like sermon. You just take that up to God. 
Amen. I got a six foot six, three hundred and thirty pound boy back here. He'll protect me. Yeah. And so, and that number one, never forget God has sovereign control of all circumstances and happenings in our life. Nothing happens by chance with God. Nothing has ever occurred to God. Nothing has ever surprised God. God has never been like, wow, I didn't know that happened. You know why? Because He's God. And may we ever be reminded of how great and how, how our God is, and He is, has absolute control of all circumstances. And, and let me, let me say secondly this. Don't get to the place where you start questioning His direction. Fearing His leadership. Because we all want to ask the question, why? Why? This, this, I have a better idea. Don't do that. Just do what God has told you to do. And, and thirdly, let me say this. If we say don't fight his leadership, don't fight his directions, do not be a rebel. God made it very clear what Joshua was to do. Do you realize that most of the things that you are supposed to do in the Christian life, you already know what you are, you're supposed to do. And when you don't obey, you're being a rebel. You know why Joshua had good success? Because he did all the Lord God commanded him, and he took possession of all that God gave him. What's amazing, he says, pursue after God, keep him in your perspective, never forget his mighty power, don't give in to fear, he will take care of your foes. But here's something that, that I find is amazing if we go into the next chapter. Why do we do that? Why do we do it? You know, you're here today because of what the previous generation done. Right? We're going to build on something else. We need to leave something behind for our children to look to. Of what God did. Of what God did. In the next chapter, he tells the men... As the Jordan's raised up, I want you all to go pitch. I want you to find 12 stones from the river. I want you to put it on the bank. And they said, why would we do that? Why would we build this altar? Because one day, you're going to be walking by, and your son's going to be with you, your grandson, and they're going to look at you and say, and I'm, I'm excited. I'll tell everybody, I'm going to be a grandpa here this year. Hallelujah. And I, that joke, I don't know if it's going to be a grandpa or grandma. But I'll find out this week. But, you know, it doesn't matter to me. But one day... You're going to walk by and your grandson's going to be with you. And they're going to look at you and say, Papa, what in the world do these stones mean? And you're going to tell them of how great God is. How that you followed God. You pursued after God. And you saw the very perspective from a distance of God working and saw His power work. We need to pursue after God and stay behind Him and and, and, and trust in His power because we need to pass that down to the next generation. We need to leave something for them to see. And if we don't pursue after God and we don't keep Him in our perspective and we don't know His power, our children and grandchildren will never know of how great God is. And I am sick of preachers saying we can't have revival this day and age. Has God died? Has God, has it been an election that I know of and He got unseated from the throne of heaven? 
Where does it say that we can't have revival? Where does it say that God don't work anymore? What in the world has happened to us? You want me to tell you what's happened to us in America, in the churches of America? We have lost the perspective of God. And if you want something for your children and your grandchildren to look back upon, you better keep God before you. Pursue Him. See Him work. And see His power. Because God's still mighty today. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You for the Word of God. And God, may You stir our hearts. I know this church going forward is something they've never experienced. 